welcome you to this celebration of Easter. I would like to share with you the story of the resurrection of Jesus as told by the Gospel of John and the meaning of that as told by the Apostle Paul uh, in the epistles. John 19, 38 to 28. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloths, according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in and saw and believed. And from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. Well, today we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a new day and a new world. Listen, I tell you a mystery. Well, Paul was certainly right about that. I tell you a mystery. The perishable must put on the imperishable, and the mortal must put on immortality. Today is the day which makes the mysteri that mysterious affirmation credible instead of pure nonsense. Because it is in this text that Paul makes clear that if Christ is not raised, that all this stuff, 
This sanctuary, these lilies you're watching online today is nonsense. And we are of all people to be most pitied. So the resurrection of Christ is the most important affirmation that Christians have to make. Is it an easy affirmation for you or a difficult one? And what does it mean for you to say that Christ is risen? Well, this morning we tried to get a glimpse of what happened on that first Easter. You know, one of the things about a normal Easter Sunday, not this year, is that on a normal Easter Sunday, we get to see a lot of people that we don't normally see. There's a ton of people, three services, and they're all packed. All these people that you don't regularly see. But the problem is, is that some of them are there under duress. Some were too small to fight back and were forcibly loaded into vehicles. Some were bribed with a really nice lunch after church. Some were guilted by an aunt or an uncle into having to come. So I guess the good thing about this year is that no one is here under duress. No one is watching under duress. Nobody made you turn your computer on and go to this video. Everybody is worshiping this day in this way because we choose to. So here we are, and I suspect that everyone that is listening this day has one question in mind. Is it true? Is the resurrection really true? When I come to my last day and draw my last breath, will it be true for me as well? You know, there are a lot of ways to answer a question. I heard about three umpires who were asked, who were asked the question, how do you call the balls and strikes? The first umpire was an objectivist, and his answer was, well, I call them as they are. If it's a ball, I call it a ball. If it's a strike, I call it a strike. The second umpire was a subjectivist. He said, well, I try my best to call them as I see them. The third umpire, well, he just said, they ain't nothing till I call them. Folks, that that's what Easter is for us. Easter is nothing until you call it and claim it for your life. Claim its promise for you and your loved ones. It's so big and so mysterious, mysterious though, that we are sometimes overwhelmed by it. I heard of a man who was visiting the Grand Canyon for the first time. He walked from the parking lot and he came to the place where there's the first overlook, the first place that you can look over and see the majesty of the Grand Canyon. And he, as he stood there, he was silent for a long time. And he finally said, something happened here. Something happened here. Is that all we can say of the resurrection, or can we say more? What does it mean to say that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead? Or as Joey Jeter puts the question, who's risen from Joseph of Arimathea's tomb? I have a confession to make. Uh, one of the uh, times I feel the least Christian in my life is when uh, I get sales calls on the phone. 
And I'm on the do not call list, but that doesn't seem to mean anything. And I'm not even talking about the robocalls. I just hang up quickly on those. But if it's a real person that calls, well, I have developed some certain number of defenses against those types of experiences. If someone calls, uh, I'll say, uh, you know, I'm a little bit busy right now. Can you give me your home number and I'll call you tonight around dinner time? That seems to work sometimes. Or uh, I launch into a language I do not know, like Turkmenistanish uh, or French or something else like that, just making it up as I go along. Have you ever had the one where they, they call you up and they try to get you to answer an easy question and tell you that you've won a prize? There's one where they call up one day and they say, Mr. McNabel, if you can answer one simple question, you'll be eligible for the grand prize giveaway. And here's the question, who's buried in Grant's tomb? Silence, more silence. Mr. McNabel, is the question too difficult? And I finally answered, well, yes, it is. It's a very difficult and a complex question. And off the top of my head, I can think of four or five different answers to it. There's the obvious answer, Grant. But like a lot of obvious answers, it's only partially true. There's the technical answer. As one who has visited Grant's tomb in New York, I can assure you that the mortal remains of Ulysses and Julia Grant are there. Uh, and by the way, they are sepulchred, not buried. Then there's the theological sense in which the answer to the question, who's buried in Grant's tomb, is no one. There are two old corpses there, but no one is at home in them. And then finally, there's the philosophical answer. Nobody usually mispronounces my name, McNabel, except people who call me on the phone and want to sell me something. So my answer is colored by my wondering just what, in the long run, this is going to cost me. So you see, it's not an easy question at all. Silence. More silence. Click. I guess he decided I was not a good candidate for the grand prize giveaway. We tend to avoid the question because if the phone rings and I am asked, who's risen from Joseph of Arimathea's tomb? I know that deep down that question is so large that it goes cleaving through the infinite. At a time like this, Easter morning, the obvious answer to the question of the resurrection is probably the best one. In fact, my favorite four words in the New Testament are the words that the angel said to John and Peter. He is not here. We come to this charnel house, this house of death, and Christ is simply not here. Death could not hold the beloved child of God. Alleluia, Christ is risen. And yet to say that Christ is risen is to say more, much more, than a dead man has been resuscitated. Historically, we see its effect on people, on the world. If we had gone into the upper room in Jerusalem on Good Friday night, we would have found the door shut and barred. Inside would have been a small group of despairing, humiliated men and women, Life was over for them. They had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah who would redeem Israel. He had promised so much, and they had believed him. But now he was dead, and they were stuck here, frightened and in danger. But suppose you had gone back to the same house 
A week later, the windows would have been open, the doors unbarred. Through them, we might have heard laughter and the singing of psalms and the plans of those who, with a few weeks of Jesus' execution, were preaching the gospel and declaring the glory of the risen Christ. After Easter, Mary was changed from a mourner to a messenger. Thomas was changed from a doubter to a believer. Peter from a denier to a preacher. Paul, later on, was changed from a persecutor to a missionary. And that small band in the upper room was changed from a sniveling band of has-beens to the church of Jesus Christ. Something happened here. And finally, like the salesman's question, my response to the question of Easter is colored by my wondering just what in the long run the answer is going to cost me. I know for certainty that as long as Jesus stays dead, I can go ahead and take care of business because nothing really matters over much and the paths of glory lead but to the grave. But if Christ is risen, then who we are, what we do, and what we become matter immensely because we are part of God's greatest affirmation of life flung against the darkness of a dying universe. And my being a part of that process may cost me everything I have. The New Testament scholar Richard Lisher has pointed out that the resurrection accounts are always followed by a therefore, always connected to the stories of our lives. Christ is risen, therefore we have peace with God, Romans 5. Christ is risen, therefore there is no condemnation, Romans 8. Christ is risen, therefore repent of your sins and turn again to God, Acts 3. Christ is risen, therefore be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of God, 1 Corinthians 15, our text for today. Let's look at just two of those therefores. Christ is risen, therefore there is no condemnation. Because Jesus Christ died for us and has risen, God has no condemnation for us. God's judgment has been overcome by God's grace. And that is the best news that you and I will ever hear. One day I was having lunch by myself and I picked up one of those weekly throwaway papers that they have for free. I think it was the East Bay Express or something. And uh, it's interesting, uh, when you look in the back, they have all these personal ads. I find them fascinating, um, especially the, uh, the romance ads. It's interesting to, th to think, to see what people think is going to attract someone to them. One of the ads in the category, Women Seeking Men, said, I'm smarter than you. If you can deal with this, please respond. Another one said, Tall, beautiful Amazon queen looking for my own personal Tarzan. Call 756-8824. Don't take the number down, please. But I saw one that actually stopped me in my tracks for a little bit. It made me wonder... It made me think. The ad simply said, Alice, you can, can come home. All is forgiven. Paul. Alice, you can come home. 
All is forgiven. Paul. That's what Easter says to us. No matter how long you've been away from God, no matter how long you have been away from the church, you can come home anytime because all is forgiven. And the other, therefore, is Christ is risen. Therefore, there is no more death. Joey Jeter tells a story about a man named Charles Goff who wrote in his book, Anyone for Calvary, a story about his life from the 1940s when he was a student in seminary in Chicago. He would take the train on Friday night out to a little town, a little church that he was serving as the student pastor and come back on Sunday night. And on that train trip, the train would stop at a little place outside the city called Calvary, because the most prominent thing about the area was Calvary Cemetery. As the train was approaching, the train man would come aboard and say, Calvary, anyone for Calvary? There was hardly anyone for Calvary. Oh, on occasion, someone would get off to visit a grave during the day, but never at night, because it was a desolate place in the dark. Then one night, an interesting thing happened. It was during the cold of winter, and when the door of the train opened, a swirl of snow came rushing in, and the conductor came in and called out, as he had done so many times before, Calvary, anyone for Calvary? But this time, a man got up, turned up his collar, picked up a package, and walked out into the snow. Charles Goff looked out the window, and he saw the lone man standing in the winter night, waving his hand. And then he saw something that he had never seen before. Not far from the tracks, across the cemetery, a new apartment building had been built. And in the window, a light went on, and Goth could see a woman and two children standing in the warm apartment, waving. And then he saw something else. The man who had left the train, waved back, and he began to walk across the cemetery toward the light, the light that shone across the darkness of Calvary. Charles Goff discovered something that night, that beyond the darkness, there is light, beyond despair, there is hope, and beyond the cemetery, there is life. That is the message of Easter for us this morning. Beyond death, there is life. Beyond this world, there is another one with people who know our name and are waiting to welcome us. God loves life and will not let death have the last word. Who's risen from Joseph of Arimathea's tomb? Jesus Christ. And because he has risen, so too shall we. We'll be right back. 